Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Um, back here in Portland, we had a great trip to Chicago. Uh, a lot going on in the world and in the news. The, the whole Roy Moore thing, in a way, really highlights in my mind, how committed the Republicans are to sucking up to the, to the very, very wealthy base that is the, the not just, you know, I, I've been referring to them for a long time as the owners of the Republican Party, but they're also the ones that keep the Republican Party in power. They're also the supporters of the Republican Party. The real constituency for the Republican Party, as E.J. Dion writes in today's Washington Post, the headline, Trump's real constituency isn't the white working class at all. And then he says his rise depended on support from rich conservatives. And it did, particularly Robert Mercer and his daughter, Rebecca, and their company, uh, Cambridge Analytica, excuse me, and, and other billionaires. And his program serves the interests of those who have accumulated enormous wealth. The part about the billionaires was my parenthetic comment in there. This explains, writes E.J. Dion Jr., uh, why so few re uh, congressional Republicans denounce him. No matter how close he edges toward autocracy, panders to Putin, uh, sucks up to Duterte, loves Erdogan, you know, strong men around the world. The GOP leadership knows t Trump is tilting our economy toward people just like him. And these are the people, of course, the billionaires, the billionaire class, that Trump understands. Trump was born into this world that Trump wants to support. Trump has been part of this all his life. And, and frankly, you know, Trump himself gets a mind-boggling benefit from this thing. I mean, we're, we're talking, if his worth, if his actual net worth is anything close to what he has said it is, repeatedly, then his children are going to make, well, they're going to make billions when he dies, but they will make additional billions if they don't have, any, have to pay any tax on the money that they didn't earn they, they, that came to them because they were members of the Lucky Sperm Club. You know, they just happened to be his children. 
So uh, E.J. Dion lays it out. It's also Paul Blumenthal over at uh, Huffington Post. Republicans admit the CEOs and donors really need the tax bill to pass or else. Gary Cohn, who used to be the chief operating officer, the COO of Goldman Sachs, Gary Cohn last week said, and I quote, the most excited group out, out there are big CEOs about our tax plan. The most excited groups out there. Chris Collins, the Republican from New York, and himself a multimillionaire, or at least a millionaire, said, my donors are basically saying, get it done and don't ever call me or don't ever call me again. Now, when a Republican member of Congress comes right out on Twitter, or however he said this, I'm I'm assuming it's Twitter, maybe I've got it wrong, but however Chris Collins said this, when an elected member of Congress comes out and publicly says, the people who gave me the money to get into this position where I am right now, this elected position, are telling me that they will not give me any more money unless I, unless I make sure that this particular piece of legislation is passed. Which is essentially what Chris Collins said and what Lindsey Graham said on Thursday. He said, first of all, that if they didn't pass the so-called, uh, the, the Republican tax scam, that if they didn't pass it, that there would be more right-wing primary challengers, of course, funded by the billionaires who want their damn taxes lowered. But also, Lindsey Graham said, and I quote, now keep in mind, Chris Collins is in the House, Lindsey Graham's in the Senate. Lindsey Graham said, quote, the financial contributions will stop if they fail to give these giant tax breaks to the billionaires. The uh, author of the piece over at uh, Huffington Post, Paul Blumenthal, ironically notes, they usually try to avoid an appearance that campaign contributions are linked to specific legislation. Gee, why would that be? Because you go to jail for bribery. Except since the Citizens United, you generally don't go to jail for bribery. And, uh, you know, all the more the tragedy. Even unelected officials in the Republican Party, you got, or, or, you know, well, this is, this is the, uh, the Senate Leadership Fund. This is Mitch McConnell's super PAC. And the guy who runs it, his name is Stephen Law. He said, quote, donors would be mortified if we didn't live up to what we've committed to on tax reform. Oh, my God. We, we might have some billionaires who are mortified if they, if they don't get the estate tax done away with and, and eliminate the alternative minimum tax, basically the only tax that Donald Trump paid in 2005. And as I recall, it was like 25 million bucks was the alternative minimum tax. I understand indexing the AMT to inflation and maybe raising the threshold at which the AMT kicks in, the alternative minimum tax. But for somebody like Donald Trump, who who in 2005 made hundreds of millions of dollars, paying a few million in in the alternative minimum tax because your, your bookkeepers are so brilliant at hiding your money all over the world in ways that, that eliminate your taxes is, you know, it's not an unreasonable thing. But the donors will be mortified. 
Eh, to hell with the average Americans, say the Republicans. In fact, they're, they're, they're front-loading this thing. In fact, they, they've even added in a tax escalator into this legislation, a tax escalator on, on you know, people who are not making millions of dollars a year. It is the, uh, the chain CPI, the good old-fashioned chain CPI. Now, the way the chain CPI works is you say, okay, the consumer price index, what's the cost of living? We're going to raise things like social security and whatnot based on the cost of living. And so typically it would be, okay, uh, you know, average person eats uh, chicken 30 times a year or whatever. And so uh, that's, you know, we're just going to say, okay, the cost of chicken used to be $3 a pound and now it's $5 a pound. So you multiply that by the 30 times a year by the amount of bloody, and you do the math, right? Very simple. Okay. Here's how much we need to increase their in- income because chicken has gone up or beef or whatever it may be. That's how a normal consumer price index works. But the chained CPI means chained to behavior. And the assumption is that as you get poorer and poorer, your behavior changes. So instead of measuring the cost of chicken, we'll say, you know, the price of chicken's gone up so much, people are going to shift to uh, just eating vegetables. Or the price of vegetables has gone up so much that people are going to shift to just eating dog food. Now, I haven't seen a chain CPI that specifically mentions dog food, but it's part of the logic of the program. So what this means is that over time, the taxes on working people are going to go up radically faster than taxes on the super wealthy. Stephen Dynan wrote a piece about this over at uh, the Washington Times, of all places. Buried amid the tax deductions and credits, House Republicans have made a major shift in tax policy that will mean an escalating tax increase on every American taxpayer over the ensuing decades. They're shifting the, the inflation index from the CPI to something known as a chain CPI, a slower growing method of calculating cost of living uh, expenses. And that means more taxpayers will quick, more quickly fall into higher tax brackets, meaning they'll owe more in taxes. The whole thing is a scam, this whole Republican tax scam. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And not only that, the states on top of this, I want to get into this after the break, the states are now really clamping down on being poor. Back. Deborah in Highlands, New Jersey. Hey, Deborah, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? I just want to make a general, like a you know, a universal comment. You know, mm-hmm. is it's a lack of uh, the, the whole thing is a lack of maturity. Like altruism has has basically died. You know, as far as our governing, uh, you know, uh, the, the the powerful, uh, you know, through wealth you know, an, an elected position and so forth. Um, the global, like the global father, mother, whatever you want to call it, okay, uh, is that's why there's all these religions looking for, you know, somebody that's going to come and save us. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's a salvation, a salvationistic <laughs> it's thought. <laughs> yeah, salvationistic thinking is uh, something that has always been promoted by tyrants and ripoff artists. You know, just just keep picking that cotton and someday you'll get to heaven. Jesus will save you, even if you've got to be a slave here on earth. I mean, that that's 
that's been the message for a long time. Um, but yeah, the like, like speaking speaking from the female perspective, if you're a female and things go wrong with your life, uh, it's because you were uh, a loose woman, you know, or you didn't right. do things properly, or you weren't so. So the criticism from the powers that be are as for for women, if things go wrong in your life, it's your fault, which is you know again the same thing. And 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 there's also you know global culture of the males are supposed to be so strong that they can overcome anything, and you're supposed to rely upon them, you right. know. And so there's this power, you know, power. We're all really confused at this point, don't you think? <laughs> I do, and 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 I think that uh, you know the the. The, the real essential point here is that, you know, we're all being kept down. I mean, you know, the, 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 the suppression of women, the suppression of minorities, uh, the, you know, the, the class warfare that, that basically white males have been running in this country since the founding of this country and, and, and continue to um, is, is destructive to everybody, including the white males isn't who are it, running it. Isn't it a global sibling uh, rivalry that we're seeing? I think so in some ways. I, I'm the, the, biggest, the biggest trend globally that concerns me, and particularly concerns me because Donald Trump seems to be a fan of it, is the, the trend toward authoritarianism, uh, you know, right. diminishing democracy. We see it in Turkey uh, big time. Uh, we're seeing, you know, uh, well, we'll see how Israel bounces back to the Netanyahu scandals. We're seeing it in Russia. We're seeing it in the Philippines. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in, in countries around the world where where the, uh, you know, where democracy is less valued than, than um, personality, shall we say. And personality is, is used to sell, the personality to leadership, the cult of personality is used to sell policies that generally benefit the very, very wealthy in these societies. And, yeah. and, gen but and it's, speaking, it's happening here too. Females are not considered, are not looked at as strong enough to, and, and physically, on average, uh, females maybe are not as physically able to fight, because it's a little war, you know, it's a global war culture. Right. Well, and see, and, all um, of that, that, so how, that, so, yeah, that, so when you have people that are in power, um, you know, they're not going to give up their power. Yeah. I agree, but but see the other the other power. point the other point, Deborah, is that the the comment you just made, and and I think you you. You're absolutely right, ironic though it may be, is within the frame of power is a good thing. And I would say that empathy is a more important thing, frankly. Deborah, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Very well said. We'll be right back. So the, this, this whole, this whole, the real, there, there is this mythology, this whole mythology that Donald Trump came to power because 53% of white women voted for him because white working men, some 70, as I recall, 60, 70% of white working men uh, who didn't have a college degree voted for him. That may be, but those are not his constituents. Those are his suckers. Those are his rubes. Keep in mind, this is a guy who has said that, you know, his hero, the guy that he, you know, who, who his favorite book that he's modeled himself after is P.T. Barnum. And he said it without a trace of irony. And the language, the rhetoric, it's breathtaking to me.
how Donald Trump's rhetoric, and I, you know, I'm on his mailing list. I, I get these things almost every single day. I'm getting an email from Donald Trump or from his, one of his sons or from his wife or, you know, somebody on the campaign or whatever saying, you know, and there'll be a, a sentence or two. Okay, Thomas, we had this, this brilliant victory yesterday. We just had we just accomplished, you know, a quarter billion dollars in trade deals with China that are going to make America great again. With, you know, no context, no discussion. You know, this is, this is just, I mean, this is, this is, there's nothing structural changing here. Trump has not changed anything other than, other than rhetorically. You have you, you had businesses that were waiting to cut deals with China and, and basically they were asked to put it on hold until Trump goes to China so he can take credit for it. But, you know, really? Is there any there? There? No, there, it's 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 a tax break for billionaires and big corporations at a time when billionaires have more money than they have ever had in the history of the world. When there are more billionaires in the United States than there have ever been in the history of the United States, there are more multimillionaires in the United States than there have ever been in the history of the United States. You have companies like Apple and General Electric and AT&T and whatnot that are stashing hundreds of billions of dollars offshore, Microsoft, and they don't, it doesn't hurt them that they stash this money offshore because they can borrow at 1%. And so what they're doing is they're issuing, or 2%, so they're issuing bonds they're borrowing against the money that's overseas. And so it's like super cheap. And, it, and, you know, they've got, I mean, the money is functionally available to them. You say, well, it's in an offshore bank. Well, not actually. It's probably in Citibank as an asset of an offshore bank. Or, you know, Bank of America or something like that. But Donald Trump is not working for the white working class. He's, he's throwing the white working class r rhetoric. But he is working for the billionaire class, for the more than hundreds of millions class. Uh, frankly, I don't think Trump is even working for, you know, the average, just a millionaire person or the, or, or the average, just a couple hundred thousand air person. In fact, those people are, are probably going to get, uh, well, I don't know, you know, but we'll see how this tax bill ends up, whether it's the House version or the Senate version. But the, the Senate version is still taking it out of the, out of that, that group of people as well. And, but most of the, most of the burden for this is going to be, is going to be borne by the bottom half of Americans. By, by the, in fact, by the bottom 90% of Americans. This is where the money is going to come from. To pay, to pay for, for on, on top of running up a $1.7 trillion debt, on top of that, they've got to come up with another couple, you know, trillion dollars, another trillion dollars to pay for this massive tax cut, tax cut for the Koch brothers, for the Mercers, for the Adelsons, for all these groups. In fact, these groups are now running ads, and I don't know if you've seen these ads. You know, there's the, I, the, I guess the uh, the group that is running the ads, the the most 
you know, boil my blood is uh, apparently Shelley Adelson, according to this uh, uh, very recent story that that suggests that, uh, oh, where did, where did it go? Here we go. A list of these, these uh, organizations. Chuck Schumer says, they're paymasters, if you will, the hard, hard right, the Koch brothers. All they want to do is cut taxes. They don't care about the deficit. They don't care about the country. They don't care about the middle class. They just want their taxes reduced, and they run the Republican Party. Elizabeth Warren said, quote, the Republican leadership has outsourced its economic agenda to a handful of billionaires and corporate donors. Donald Trump said, my accountant called me and said, you're going to get killed in this bill if it doesn't include an estate tax cut. And then the big donors, here we go. Uh, big donors are already spending tens of millions of dollars on political advertising. Nonprofit groups that do not disclose their donors, this is from Paul Blumenthal's piece in Huffington Post, like the 45 Committee, American Action Network, America First, Americans for Prosperity, and Freedom Partners plan to spend at least $43 million on a campaign to pressure specific members of Congress. 45 Committee, this is the one that I've been seeing the ads here in Portland where they say the average American, they've got this you know, nice woman and her husband and her two kids, and she's saying, the average American's gonna get like $1,200 or 2,200 or whatever. It's a lie. This is from the 45 Committee by Shelley Adelson and Joe Ricketts. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. Call 202-808-9925. Joe Ricketts, by the way, is the guy who owned two independent news organizations that both voted to unionize a week or two ago, and he just shut them both down when the, when the workers voted to unionize. When was the last time you looked forward to sitting at your desk all day? Since getting my new X chair, not only am I enjoying the time spent in my desk much more than ever, but I can't believe how much more productive I'm being. My X chair is unbelievably stylish, and thanks to all the ways that you can personalize it, it literally molds itself to my body. Trust me, this is not your grandfather's office chair. And because I don't need to keep having to take breaks or to stretch my back, I'm getting more done in a day than ever before. If you spend a lot of time in your office chair every day, then you need to try the X chair. In fact, here's a terrific deal just for my listeners. The makers of X chair want you to feel the X chair difference for yourself. So if you go to xchairtom.com, that's the letter X, chair, T-H-O-M.com, not only will they knock $100 off the price, but they'll even throw in a free footrest if you use the promo code TOM. Just go to xchairtom.com now. I love my X chair, and you will too. So check out xchairtom, that's xchairtom.com. Check out xchairtom.com, and be sure to use T-H-O-M as the promo code for your $100 discount. Welcome back, Tom Hartman here with you here at the uh, at the uh, at the studio in Portland. At our Portland studio, we have a uh, Keurig. Keurig is that how it's said? Keurig, Keurig, K E. It's a German word. Keurig, I guess would be how you say it. Auf Deutsch, uh, coffee maker, and uh, you can get the little uh, uh, you can get actually recyclable organic coffee in recyclable pods. And uh, so you can make your coffee quickly. In fact, this morning, uh, there's, there's, there's another talk show host who's got a war going on with Keurig. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of supportive of Keurig at this point. <laughs> in fact, I suggested to Louise this morning, moved it into our Amazon cart, in fact, that uh, we get one and, and, you know, put it in a, just a, a little one-cup maker and set it, set it in the bathroom upstairs. So, uh, you know, <laughs> make a cup of coffee in a hurry, right? Good time to... Good time to think about stuff like that. Anyway, Beverly in McHenry, Illinois. Hey, Beverly, what's on your mind today? 
Hi, Tom. Thank you for taking the call. I want to make one sort of advertising statement on taxes, and then I want to ask for your help to help me and maybe others understand this complex issue. Um, It goes way over my head. Uh, But number one, on this tax thing, wouldn't it be an easier way to market opposing it by saying, why when all the tax cuts are for large corporations, why aren't all the cost and deductions also going at their end instead of spreading it down the way? Well, um, we're actually that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And, and we're not closing loopholes. We're actually giving new loopholes to businesses, um, you know, uh, more rapid ability to depreciate equipment, for example. Uh, you know, the, it, it, it's just it's crazy. Beverly, this is a I, this this should appropriately be called the Republican tax scam because it's a scam. I mean, you had in fact, it's it's. Uh, Hang on just a second. I, there, there's the, 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 the numbers on this. I'm not sure where I've got it. It may take me a little bit to find it. But, but the, the, uh, the, the bottom line is that the, back in, in, the, in the 1950s and 60s, corporations were paying about a third of the total freight to run the federal government. Because corporations, you know, among the biggest beneficiaries of the federal government, if it weren't for the federal government, there would be no corporations. They wouldn't be able to do business. They wouldn't have money. They wouldn't have courts. They wouldn't have, you know, everything, uh, you know, rules of the road. And, and now, they're, now they're paying about 10, 11, 12 percent. It's radically dropped. And so that's what's going on. Did I answer your question or did you even ask a specific yes. question, Beverly? No, I, that was just sort of a mention. Question yeah. wise, if maybe you can dissect for me and other average people, I get lost in this overseas stuff. I take it, if I'm correct, there's a couple of issues. There's one when they stash money overseas, but there's also something different about corporations that merge or incorporate in other countries because of getting a better rate. And what I'd like to hear that I don't, in these other countries that have lower rates, um, how does that stand for an effective? Do they get all the deductions that they get here? I mean, where's the equivalent that we don't ever really hear about? Yeah, here's here's how it works, Beverly. Let's say that uh, you and I own a company that makes, say, uh, smartphones. And we want to make them overseas because it's a whole lot cheaper and we can make more money selling them here in the United States. And here in the United States, our company, which is where our company is incorporated, our company would have to pay, you know, the, the average corporate tax, the effective corporate tax in the United States is around 18.1 percent. It's, it's a little lower than most European countries, a little higher than a few other countries. But, you know, we're kind of in the middle worldwide what corporations actually pay. But still, it's 18%. But if we set up a subsidiary corporation, a second individual corporation that we also own, but it's a separate company, and that company is incorporated, say, in Bermuda, and that company has offices, say, in China, and that company then goes out and subcontracts with the company to make our smartphones. And let's say that here in the United States, our company, Beverly and Tom Incorporated, our company is going to sell our smartphones for, let's say, $1,000 each. But it only costs us, let's say, $25. Let's say it costs us $100 to make them, 
okay, just to keep the numbers really even. It, co it costs $100 to manufacture one of our smartphones in China. So our company that is incorporated in Bermuda, which is which, where there's no income tax, right? No, no corporate tax. You make a profit, you keep it all. Our company, which is incorporated in Bermuda, which is doing business in China, contracts with the factory in China to manufacture these phones that cost us $100 a piece to make. We're going to sell them to the public at $1,000. Our company then, and we'll call that company uh, uh, Beverly and Tom's Phone Manufacturing Company in China, okay? Beverly and Tom's Phone Manufacturing Company in China makes, you know, contracts for the phones, has got a, you know, a, a million phones that they now need to sell to Beverly and Tom in the United States so that we can sell them for $1,000 a piece to our customers. Are you with me so far, Beverly? I am. Okay, so here's where it gets really tricky. Here's where it gets really slick. Phone cost 100 bucks. Our company, now we've got two companies, and what we want to do is we want to keep all the profit in the company that's based in Bermuda that's doing business in China. We don't want any of that profit to come to the company or very little of that profit to come to the company here in the United States. So we sell, and we're gonna sell the phones for $1,000. So we have the company that operates in China that you and I own that is incorporated in, the, in Bermuda. We have that company sell them to us. We're selling to ourselves essentially, but we have two companies. Sell the phones to us for say $950 a piece. So here in the United States, when we sell them for $1,000, we make a $50 profit that we pay an 18% oh. tax on. But the company that's operating in China, that's incorporated in Bermuda, that pays no taxes, that you and I also own, that company shows a, an $850 profit on every phone that we sold to ourselves. So all of our profits are kept offshore in, in Bermuda banks for our activity in China. This is how it's done. And then every 10 or 15 years or 20 years or so, the Republicans come along. George W. Bush did it. Ronald Reagan did it. They come along and they say, we're going to do a one-year window where you can bring back all those billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in profits that you've got stashed overseas at only, I think Bush's last one was a 5% tax rate. I think Reagan's was around 10%. They're talking about now 10%. You can bring that money back and, at a very, very low tax rate. And it'll be a short stimulus to the economy, in theory anyway. At least it'll reduce our debt for a short while. But mostly it just, you know, allows these companies to, to recover their money. If that doesn't happen, if the Democrats succeed in fighting it, now you and I, Beverly, we've got hundreds of billions of dollars stashed in this bank in Bermuda, but we can't spend that in the United States because it's pre-tax dollars, you know, from another, from a Bermuda-based company. We have to somehow get that money into our hands in the United States because we want to build a new factory in, um, in uh, Dubuque, Iowa, to, uh, to, or a new packaging and assembly place where we'll take those smartphones we're buying from China and we'll have, you know, Americans put them in boxes and package them so we can say assembled in the United States, right, which will help sell them. So we want to build this new factory. Well, where are we going to get the money? We've got $100 billion sitting in Bermuda, but that's sitting in Bermuda. But we need, say, $20 billion to build a factory in Dubuque. How, how do we do that? We simply borrow the money against that $100 billion we've got sitting in the bank down in Bermuda and pay 1% at it, you know, for it. And it's a very safe loan. Anybody in the world will loan us the money. And with that, we make the whole thing work. So, you know, it's a very, very straightforward process, a very simple process. Make sense? It makes a lot of sense. But then let me ask, by them lowering the tax rate, that doesn't really stop what you just described, does nope. it? 
No, no. In fact, there was a law that was passed in the first year of the Obama administration in 2009, in the summer of 2009, Nancy Pelosi passed legislation out of the House of Representatives that would have ended the ability of companies to do this. It was, it passed the House of Representatives. And, and by the way, it did two things. Number one, it would have, it would have, it would have completely ended it, but it would have made it much more difficult for companies to do what I just described. And secondly, it would have provided tax incentives to companies to bring their manufacturing back to the United States. In other words, it would have added deductibility for bringing your company back. Right now, companies get a tax deduction if, if they ship their jobs offshore. We actually have a tax code that encourages companies to ship jobs offshore. Nancy Pelosi got legislation through the House of Representatives that reversed that, literally reversed it, shifted the incentives away from shipping it offshore and to bringing it back to the United States. It passed the House of Representatives, it went to the Senate. It got more than 50 votes in the Senate. There's 100 senators. You, the Constitution says when a majority of senators vote for something, that's it. It wins. But the Senate has this rule called the filibuster, and the, which says that you know, you've got to have 60 votes to pass something if a Republican objects. And sure enough, Republicans objected. They did not want an end to this, this corporate scam that's being done by their donors, their donors who are demanding now this tax break. And so, you know, yeah, we, we could fix this real easily. This is a structural problem. This isn't, this is what, you know, where Donald Trump went over to China and, he, and, and Asia and he's yelling, bad Chinese, you guys are ripping us off. You know, no, they're not. We're ripping us off. It's the Republicans who are ripping us off. Pelosi and, and Schumer tried to put an end to this and then the Republicans filibustered it. It's, it's very, very simple and very straightforward. They're, they're, this, and, and this, and this, and, and now they're marketing this tax scam which is going to further cut the taxes on big corporations and billionaires. They're marking more than half of all the benefits of this are going to go to fewer than 1% of the people. That's like a 50 to 1 load, you know, uh, you know, on, on, the, on the benefits. And, uh, and uh, you know, what's so sad is they've got a bunch of billionaires who are spending $45 billion, uh, million dollars to buy advertising, which no doubt you are seeing on television right now, Beverly, which is highly deceptive saying, hey, don't, don't worry about what the billionaires are getting. You're going to get a little bit of money. Uh, a, it's probably not even true. Beverly, thanks for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. And B, even if it is true for a small number of people, middle class working people, it's inconsequential. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. The, uh, the graphic up at the top of Democratic Underground kind of says it all. It's the pick of the moment, the picture of the moment, the flaw in that right-wing Keurig boycott. Uh, it's got the Keurig logo and the guys, the two people from the company are talking and one says, what's the latest? And the other one says, some people are smashing our coffee makers because we won't advertise on a TV show that supports a child molester for U.S. Senate. That would be Sean Hannity's show. Uh, the other guy says, I see. And they're paying for the coffee makers before they smash them? She says, yes. And then they do a high five. Ah, this is not, this is not working out well for Roy Moore and, and Fox News. That said, I mean, this is, this is kind of the legacy of the old South. 
the, in fact, there was a great op-ed in today's Washington Post broadly about this, about how, how uh, you know, for centuries in the Old South, slave women and children were the property of white men in the Old South, and they did whatever they wanted with them, including sexually. And, you know, so what a surprise that the culture of the remnant of the Old South thinks that white men should be able to do that. But stepping, stepping beyond that or stepping, let's take a step deeper into this issue of race and power in our society. Ikao Yanka, and I, I apologize to him, I'm assuming it's him, if I'm mispronouncing his name, uh, I've, I've not heard it before, so I'm just doing it phonetically, E-K-O-W-Y-A-N-K-A-H, wrote an op-ed in the Sunday paper, the Sunday New York Times. He's African-American. The title is, Can My Children Be Friends with White People? Ikao Yanka writes, my oldest son wrestling with a four-year-old's happy struggles is trying to clarify how many people can be his best friend. My best friends are you and mommy and my brother and... But even a child's joy is not immune to this ominous political period. This summer's images of violence in Charlottesville, Virginia prompted an array of questions. Some people hate others because they're different, I offer lamely. A childish but distinct panic enters his voice. But I'm not different. And then he goes on, he says, it's impossible to convey the mixture of heartbreak and fear. I fear, I feel for him. I, I really am, as a, as, as a, as a white person, as a, uh, am getting this more and more and more. Spent this weekend, we, we went to uh, see uh, Murder in the Orient Express with, with my kids and my mother-in-law and with family and just... If, if I was raising a black child in America right now with the kind of, of rhetoric coming out of the Republican Party nationwide, and, you know, and, and just the long history of the way that white people have treated black people in this country from the very beginning, I would be worried too. I would be very worried. He goes on and he says, real friendship, meaningful friendship is not just a feeling. It is not simply being able to share a beer. Real friendship is impossible without the ability to trust others, without knowing that your well-being is important to them. And then he points out, and this is, this is a very real thing, and white people don't think about this because there are the beneficiaries of this rather than the victims of it. But he points out America is transfixed on the opioid epidemic among white Americans who often get hooked after being overprescribed painkillers while studies show that doctors underprescribe pain medication for African-Americans. But when black lives were struck by addiction, we cordoned off minority communities with the police and threw away an entire generation of black and Hispanic men. Remember George Herbert Walker Bush? When he, when he had the, he, they, it turned out that they had paid a guy to stand in the park across the street from the White House and sell some crack cocaine 
to an agent who knew that the guy was being paid to do it. So nobody went to jail, apparently. And uh, but so that George Bush could on TV say, I have here a bag of cocaine that I bought just a block from the White House, or that was bought just a block from the White House. And so he, you know, Richard Nixon started the war on drugs against specifically hippies and black people, as John Haldeman ad- admitted. And then George Herbert Walker Bush doubled, tripled down on it. And all those minimum mandatory sentences and three strikes and you're out and crack cocaine is, you know, 10 times more jail time than powder cocaine because white people are using powder cocaine. Black people are using crack cocaine. He goes on to say, when systemic joblessness strikes swaths of white America, we get an entire presidential campaign centered on globalization's impact on the white working class. Even the nerve of some rich or visible African-Americans to protest that America in its laws and its police has rarely been just, has rarely been just to all, has been met with, or how America and its laws and police have rarely been just to all. Have, uh, the nerve of some rich uh, African-Americans to protest that has been met with the howls of a president who cannot tolerate that the lucky and the uppity do not stay in their place. African-American father talking about his, his children. I will teach my boys to have profound doubts that friendship with white people is possible. When they ask, I will teach my sons that their beautiful hue is a fault line. Spare me platitudes on how we are all the same on the inside. I first have to keep my boys safe. And so I will teach them before the world shows them that this particular brand of rending violent often fatal betrayal. Let me assure you that my heartbreak dwarfs my anger, he writes. He says, Mr. Trump's supporters are practiced at purposeful blindness. His casual conflation of Muslims with terrorists is reducing Mexican-Americans to murderers and rapists. All along, his allies have watched racial pornography describing black America as pathological. Barack Obama's farewell address encouraged us to reach across partisan lines, but there's a difference between disagreeing over taxes and negotiating one's place in America, the bodies of your children, your humanity. Our racial wound has undone love and families and ignoring the depths of the gash will not cause it to heal. He ends by saying there's hope though. Implicitly without meaning to, Mr. Trump asks us if this is the best we can do. It falls on us to do better. We cannot agree on our politics, but we can declare that we stand beside one another against cheap attack and devaluation, that we live together and not simply beside one another. In the coming years, when my boys ask again their question about who can be their best friend, I pray for a more hopeful answer. And then one of the, one of the comments I thought was just brilliant. This was uh, by Michael Dodge Thomas of, of Chicago. He said, I'm an elderly, this is a comment in the New York Times to this article. I'm an elderly white man living in a university town adjacent to a major Midwestern city who grew up in a blue-collar working-class community where racism and homophobia and misogyny were deeply embedded assumptions of daily life. So if I had been frozen sleeper style in 1957 and thawed out in 2017, a walk down the street would be disorienting when it was not frightening. A black woman cop ticketing a white motorist, a goateed Latino man sitting in in the VP chair at the bank, two men walking hand in hand across the street, an obviously non-white man identified as the ex-president of the United States speaking on a gigantic television screen, a white couple with children of two different colors in their strollers, 
Every block would be a series of assaults on every social opinion I absorbed as a child. He said, so what my past and present tell me in absolutely uncertain terms is that literally unimaginable social changes are possible in a lifetime. None of this invalidates any of Nyanka's list of insults, abuses, or worse, or the necessity of a parent to prepare their child for this. But his deep pessimism seems to me to underestimate the power of personal relationships and daily interaction to change even deep convictions. I, I would say that's true, too. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So look at all the amazing change we've seen in our lifetime. Is it possible that we can finally heal this one, too? Welcome back. Barbara in St. Paul, Minnesota. Hey, Barbara, thanks for watching Free Speech TV on Dish Network. What's up? Hello? Hey, Barbara, you're on the air. Can you hear me? I do. Yeah, my phone is, uh, when the battery gets hot, I can't hear a doggone thing. Oh, but sorry. I was listening to what you were saying, and as a little girl growing up in Southern Illinois, you went through the same doggone thing. And you didn't tell nobody. You're talking, are you talking? Nobody would believe you. Are you, are you talking about growing up black or are you talking about Judge Roy Moore and? and growing up black. Okay. As a little girl. Uh-huh. It, 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 it was, it was, it was really different. It was really scary. Because mm-hmm. you didn't know who was who and you didn't know who was what. And most of your teachers... When I grew up, most of my teachers were uh, young, you know, Caucasian men. Mm-hmm. And they would ask you, and what would you say? You couldn't say anything because, first of all, you were shocked, and second of all, you knew what they were talking about. But it was different. It was hard. And right now, being a black person in America, you're scared. Yeah. You can't kneel in protest for a flag that you have people in your families that fought up under. I'm looking at my flag right now. Very proud of that flag. I'll fight for that flag like any dog on body else. But I am sick and tired of everybody being mad at a race of people because they love this country just as much as any dog on anybody else. Amen. I mean, it just, it, it, it bugs you. It gets on your dog on nerves. I get tired of hearing it every day. The blacks ain't did this. The crime in their community. And da-da-day and da-da-da. Well, ah. if you're so concerned about it, put police in the community that really care. Well, and beyond that, I would say what Colin Kaepernick has started is the ultimate uh, patriotic thing to do. I, you know, what he's what these guys are saying, and they're saying it in a respectful way, by the way. You know, let's remember Colin Kaepernick originally just sat for the national anthem, and then he and, and uh, I forget who he had a conversation with, but but uh, you know, somebody suggested to him it would be far more respectful to kneel, and so yeah. he he started doing that. As, because he wants to make sure he wanted to, and all of these guys want to make sure that what they're what they're expressing is respect, along yes. with dissent. And it, it, but this the, is what this is what makes me. This is what I get mad about. There were African American men, my uncle, my father, my brother, two brother-in-laws that fought for this country. They were asked to go, and they did, but they had to fight America as men of respect to even fight for the country. And my father came back, and he had to go to heck just to get his GI Bill. But he fought for this country. Yeah, my, you know, my dad. What's wrong with these people? Yeah, my dad came back and with the GI Bill, bought a house and went to college. He bought a house in a neighborhood where your father would not have been able to buy a house with a GI Bill. No, no. I mean, people don't even realize this. The projects first. 
Yeah, they, he can even get the GI Bill. I think most white people don't even realize that after World War II, a lot of black soldiers could not use the benefits of the GI Bill because they could, because colleges wouldn't admit them, and because because neighborhoods wouldn't sell homes to them. Thank you. And banks See, would. They don't know this. It's that they don't know this, Tom. They don't want to know it. Yeah. They just literally don't want to know, because it makes them feel superior. Superior to what? If you cut me, I bleed. I cut you, you bleed. Yep. When something happens in this world, I'm worried about it just like everybody else because I have grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Yep. And, of course, I'm going to worry about it. There you go. I live in a quiet, you know, fairly decent, nice neighborhood where these people are hardworking and work for their, you know, work for their God. And it's mostly an African-American neighborhood. Yep. And they're trying to run us out of here. Oh, jeez. Barbara, I got to run, but thank you for the call. It's spot on. You, you said it so well. Thank you. Everyone's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that beets are one of the most important superfoods you can put in your body? They're loaded with important, an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to be, eat, eat a pile of beets every day? Not most people. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from crystals grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthy circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeets.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beets for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beets is working for you. And free shipping. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, the website tomsbeats.com. And welcome back, Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, welcome back to Portland. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, appreciate it. Um, I'd like to preface my comment and question for you um, by harkening back to the 30s, 1930s, with the labor movement. Um, in Detroit, they used a slogan called uh, "Bread, not crumbs." And uh, given the conditions of that decade, it, it had more of a literal meaning back then. Um, but you know, if things, if we don't continue with our vigorous resistance, it, it might take on a more literal meaning for us today. So I think it's a good slogan. I think it already has uh, for probably 40, 50 million Americans. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think it's definitely a slogan worth recycling to use against this uh, so-called administration. Um, but the and the reason I called, um, I believe, um, Tom, there's good news and bad news when it comes to the challenge of defeating this uh, grand tax scam, as you call, as you accurately call it. Uh, to start with the good news, I think it's us looking back at the last year and, and getting confidence from our victories, especially with healthcare and realizing based on their own revelations that if we can uh, pull off one more defensive stand this year, we can, um, at least for the time being, break the will of these greedy right-wing billionaires and their smiling sycophants in Congress. The bad news, um, as I see it, um, and the reason everyone needs to go all in, um, as as we did against health care, is that this scam is not it's not only a monstrous money transfer to the idle rich, um, but according to Paul Krugman's column in, uh, in the New York Times on Friday, it, it's it's specifically for the idle rich, 
um, which you know is is even more egregious. You're talking about things like capital gains, the the for people who earn their money by by investing money. They they earn their yeah. money sitting around the pool waiting for the dividend check to arrive. Exactly, exactly. And 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 on top of all that, Tom, isn't this textbook disaster capitalism? Yes. Uh, referring to Naomi Klein, in that it'll explode the deficits, manufacture a debt and manufacture a debt crisis that they'll hype to to inflict even more austerity and privatization um, going forward. Absolutely. And they will do both, the, the austerity and the privatization. I'm, I'm completely with you. Yes, uh, you, have, you have clearly, clearly and, well, and, and, and brilliantly identified it, Jeff. Uh, Jeff, I, I want to get one last caller in here before the break. Charles in Vancouver. Hey, Charles, what's up? Hey, Tom, I have to echo the sentiment of the uh, previous caller. I'm glad to have, we're glad to have you back in the Pacific Northwest. Your Thanks. Presence is oh, it's, a, it's wonderful being here. Um, I, I wanted to make a comment about uh, seeing the president hanging out and being chums with the Philippine dictator. And I, I, I've read that that dictator was uh, elected by a majority vote, and 80% of the people in the country approve of him of murdering drug dealers. Well, approved of him at the drug. time at the time he was elected. His approval ratings now, now that he's killed so many people, a lot of people uh, are starting to go, wait, hey, wait a minute, he, he killed my cousin. You know, his, I don't, I don't know how long Duterte is going to be able to hold on to this. And I, and I fear that when he really starts to collapse in popularity, which is happening right now from everything I'm reading, he's going to pull an Erdogan. You know, he's, he's going to have some sort of, you know, there will be some kind of a coup attempt or whatever. God only knows. But, uh, you know, Tom, it's not the first time our country supported uh, dictators, but I, I just don't understand why uh, Donald would align himself with what I consider to be a murderer. I mean, yeah. I just oh, Duterte a is a murderer and he has he yeah. brags about the fact that he has killed people with his own hands. It's it's astonishing, Charles. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm dumbstruck. Thank you for the call. Welcome back. Jackie in Slinger, Wisconsin. Hey, Jackie, what's on your mind today? Yes. Good afternoon, Tom. When Trump rolled out his tax scam, he used his props uh, truck drivers. That's right. But what he failed to tell them while they were standing up there in support of his tax scam was that he's going to remove their per diem tax um, write-off. So they live in their truck every day. I'm a truck driver. So they have to buy three meals a day from a restaurant. Right. And we can write that off as a per diem expense. That's going to be eliminated under the new Trump tax scam. Really? Yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, they, they want to do away with the deductibility of your disabled child. They want to do away with the deductibility of your student loans. And now they want to screw truckers by saying you can't, you can't write off your meals. That's that's insane. The other thing was, the other thing was too, that their benefit was supposed to be the pass-through income thing that you've talked about right. before. Right. But they've written that, if I understand, so that it, now it only will apply to Wall Streeters. It only applies. Yeah, it one, it'll be considered ordinary income. That's correct. And and as the owner of a little radio show, it would be considered ordinary income. I've been watching this because if they pull this thing off. You know, I, I was thinking, geez, my tax rate would go down to 25%. Um, you know, not, not that I'm a fan of that, but I'll take it. 
but it looks like small businesses like you being a truck driver running your own, you know, your own rig or me being a talk show host running my own show, uh, you know, we don't qualify. You've got to be a little bit bigger than this and it's got to be an enterprise that you're not actually working for that you're just taking money out of. So it genuinely will be a tax break for the idle rich and for Wall Street bankers, but not for anybody else. You, I, I believe that you're right on that, Jackie. Although, again, the tax bill is still being written, um, but that's uh, from everything that I've heard. That's, that's, that's amazing. Thanks for the information on the truckers, Jackie, and, and uh, thanks a lot for the call. Great to hear from you. Tyrone in New York City. Hey, Tyrone, what's up? Hey, Tom. Uh, thank you uh, for your, 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 your treasure trove of knowledge that you spread throughout the airwaves because it, it helps tremendously. Thank you, Tyrone. Uh, I was talking about the, the, the fact that, you know, we're in the battle as progressive Democrats, in the battle for our sanity, because there are too many Democrats that say that the Democrats and the Republican is the same party. I'm like, how do you come to that conclusion? Because it's, it's, it's like saying Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton are the same people. They are not. Right. There is no way that the, that what Donald Trump is pushing, Hillary wouldn't have pushed any of this stuff. Right. And they, they say, no, this, they're, they're the same people. I'm like, no, they're not. No, if she was president, our national parks would be safe, our, our water and air would be safe, our schools would be improved, our, our, our seniors would be, uh, you know, safe. Healthcare. You know, yeah, we'd all have health care. I mean, it's just it's very straightforward stuff. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tyrone. So the, I, I, I think that we're trying to, uh, I think that we, we, we need to realize that this is going to be a battle that we're going to have to fight for the rest of our life because oh, yeah. Republicans are going to continue to try to do what they do, and we'd have to continue to try to battle for what we want because yep. it don't seem to be the same thing. Well, Republicans have been robbing us blind since certainly since Nixon on steroids, since Reagan, and, and they've been lying about it brilliantly ever since the creation of Fox News in the late 1980s, uh, as I recall. So, yeah, I'm spot on. I don't know if it's the educational um, system or the, the multimedia system that, that feeds us what we want, what they want us to know, but we are definitely, we definitely have to know we are in a fight. Yep. Amen. Amen. Tyrone, thanks for the call. Well said. Don in Sausalito, California. Hey, Don, what's up? Hi there. Sorry, I had to unmute myself. So That's I wanted clear. to call um, in response to the discussion you had earlier about the Department of Ed and student lending. Um, quick question, how much time do I have? Uh, two minutes. Okay. Well, that's a big one. Um, so I'm an organizer with a group called the Deck Collective. And um, while I really, really do appreciate your show and I appreciate the topics that you bring in into discussion, I feel that um, some of the statements said earlier as I was listening is only about 20% of the actual truth. And part of the reasons why students are going to continue to be indentured slaves by the Department of Education is because the public really does not get the seated root um, issue behind this. And that does not boil down to the Democrats or the Republicans or the Obama administration or the Trump administration. It's far beyond any of that. It's just that we don't have enough people that um, have the right interest 
um, other than lining their own pockets. And it's Democrats and it's Republicans, so it goes both ways. And so what I just briefly want to say on your show is I would encourage people to take a little bit more time to read a little bit deeper into the news and think about it a little bit more. You know, student borrowers are taxpayers, too. There's always a defense and an argument that they're trying to, they're having this negotiation negotiated rulemaking hearing session again uh, because they're trying to protect people. But what they're doing is they're protecting those that actually profit off of us. Now, I am an individual that has $156,000 in student debt. I've been to for-profit schools. I also worked for for for-profit schools. And I was a whistleblower back in 2015 against the predatory practices. And what we're not talking about in the media is the actual direct role the department has had for over 30 years in co-creating and co-conspiring with the for-profit um, system that's been designed. It didn't just emerge out of the blue air in the last three years. It didn't just emerge in the last 10 years. This goes all the way back to Reagan. So we cannot waste time pointing fingers at different political parties. We need to point the fingers at ourselves first and ask ourselves, do we really, really understand the systemic issue behind what we're discussing? Otherwise, we're having a half-assed conversation about, like, as you said, the greatest crisis we face at this moment. Okay. Don, uh, we're out of time, but thank you for the call. Uh, (laughs) And thank you for being with us today. It's been an interesting day. Uh, I, I think the press conference should be going on now or should have happened just a little bit ago where this uh, Gloria Allred is bringing out another Roy Moore accuser. I'll have to check the, check the weather as soon as we get off the air here. No doubt we'll be talking about that and more tomorrow. So anyhow, don't forget, democracy requires you. It's not a spectator sport. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.